Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, a cold wind blew through the Vatican. So that's how the uh, article uh, that I came across uh, almost a year ago begins. A cold wind blew through the Vatican, but it didn't stop the Pope from taking a stroll through St. Peter's Square. Now, this by itself uh, probably wouldn't have garnered a lot of attention were it not uh, for the photo that accompanied these words. It's, uh, it's Pope Francis in a puffer jacket. And I'm going to guess that uh, by your reaction that some of you have, uh, have seen this picture before. You know, if ever there was a coat fit for a pope, uh, I think this would be it. I mean, it's, uh, it's got that off-white papal feel. It's, uh, it's slender and form-fitting. And it's even got that sash around the waist uh, that the popes and uh, Catholic clergy like to wear. Uh, the problem is, and uh, you probably already know this, this picture is not real. It's not real. See, like, uh, like so many images that we came across last year, uh, this image was generated by AI or uh, artificial intelligence. And, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of spooky how good these things have gotten. Uh, because if the article I was reading hadn't pointed out this was a fake, I'm not sure I would have noticed not sure I would have noticed that, uh, that the Pope's uh, left eyelid uh, sort of merges into his glasses, or that, uh, that the chain holding up his cross, it comes down on this side, but it does not go up on the other side, uh, or the fact that his fist is clenched, but he's also carrying a cup of coffee. I mean, does the Pope like Starbucks? I mean, you, you can't really tell. Uh, you see, uh, this picture, it sort of blurs the image uh, between uh, what is real and what is not. You see, that, uh, that brings me to something that I read about back in December and uh, was recently reminded of this past week. You see, every year, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary identifies a word of the year. It's, uh, it's something they've been doing for more than 20 years now. And, and like most good dictionaries, uh, they are not trying to define uh, or uh, prescribe what's going on. They're simply trying to observe what's happening. So they look at all the words that are being searched for, all the words uh, that are being used, and they pick one that best summarizes uh, the year. And the word that they picked all the way back in December of 2023, I hear, see some heads nodding, uh, was the word authentic. See, in the article that they posted back in December, they, uh, they share the reason why. They say that uh, back in 2023, uh, a lot of people were talking about what it means or what it looks like for something to be authentic. They saw this uh, in stories about things like uh, AI, uh, in what was going on in celebrity culture, and even a, a deeper conversation about how easy it is, even for people like us, uh, to present ourselves in social media in ways that aren't completely accurate. And, uh, and they go on to observe that there are uh, actually a number of ways that the word authentic is defined. 
See, there's, uh, there's the conventional way to, uh, to define authentic, and that goes something like this. Uh, not false or an imitation. Uh, and there's, a, there's an obsolete way, a way that, uh, that no longer defines it, uh, and that way is authoritative. The word authentic no longer means authoritative. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, but then there's uh, one more way that uh, people like to define it, and that way goes like this. Uh, true to oneself. Being authentic means, uh, means being yourself. And then they, they report uh, that a number of people used this word last year this way. They, they found themselves uh, discussing how important it is to find your authentic self. Uh, or to discover uh, your authentic voice, and that you do this by looking inside of yourself and expressing who you really are. You know, all of this struck me because uh, at the end of the article, uh, Merriam-Webster uh, observes that this word is hard to define, and uh, they say that it's even subject to debate. Uh, but then they say this. They say that, uh, that clearly... Being authentic is a desirable quality. Being authentic is, uh, is a desirable quality. You see, that uh, brings me to today's reading because uh, no matter how you define the word authentic, what Paul seems to be expressing in today's reading sort of looks like the opposite. If you're anything like me, it, uh, it probably catches you off guard. I mean, Paul is uh, he's thinking about his life. He's thinking about what's most important. And that's when he says, I have become all things to all people. And, uh, and the more you think about it, the more you realize uh, that this certainly challenges the way in which our world values authenticity. Uh, because it seems a little inauthentic to be all things to all people. Uh, but what I want to suggest today is that it does even more than this. Uh, because it doesn't just challenge the way in which our world values authenticity. It challenges us. It challenges us uh, to rearrange what we see as most important. You see, it's, uh, it's with those thoughts in mind uh, that we turn to uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, but before we get there, a word or two about Paul's uh, letter to the church in Corinth is probably helpful. You see, uh, like most of uh, Paul's letter, he's writing to a group of Christians that he already knows. And, and he met this group of Christians all the way back on his second missionary journey. It was, uh, it was the early 50s AD, or about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and on this missionary journey, as it comes to a close, uh, he heads back to Jerusalem to settle a dispute uh, with the other apostles. And then he heads out on his third missionary journey, and, and after a three-year stay in uh, Ephesus, he finally writes this letter uh, to a group of Christians that he uh, so dearly loves. And what you need to know about the, the Christians in Corinth uh, is that this church is deeply divided. They're divided on a number of different issues, and this is why Paul writes them this letter, because he wants to take up five of these issues. And, uh, and so the, the letter to the church in Corinth, it, it sort of reads like five essays on five different topics with a, a final letter of conclusion uh, from Paul to this church that he dearly loves. 
And, uh, and the reading that you heard today, it's, uh, it's located in the middle of what I like to call the third essay. Started all the way back in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's a response to a question that's caused quite a bit of stir uh, in the city of Corinth. And that question is this, can we eat meat? Can we eat food that's sacrificed to idols? I mean, do we have the right to do that? And as I mentioned, uh, the church in Corinth, it's, uh, it's deeply divided, and they're, they're very divided on this particular issue. I mean, the, the Jews say, no, no, you cannot eat meat sacrificed to idols because that's a violation of the first commandment, something that God has forbidden. How about the Gentiles? The Gentiles just don't see a problem. I mean, idols are just these objects made out of stone or wood, and so the, whether you're meeting a, a eating a, a food sacrificed to an idol or not doesn't really change who God is. And so Paul writes this, this third essay to clarify this issue and to essentially say two things to them. And, uh, and the first thing he does is he, uh, he answers their question. Do you have the right to eat meat sacrificed to an idol? Well, if that's the question you're asking, the answer is yes. You absolutely have the right to eat meat sacrificed to an idol. Because as the Gentiles say, idols are just these objects made out of stone or wood. And so uh, whether you're eating meat sacrificed to them or not, doesn't really change who God is. But here's the thing. And, uh, and this is the second thing that Paul wants to say to the Corinthians. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's when, uh, when Paul begins to rearrange what they see as most important. He does this uh, by urging them to ask a slightly different question. And that question is, uh, what kind of impact is this going to have on others. I mean, is it going to lead them astray? Is it, uh, is it going to become a stumbling block to them? Is it going to give them the wrong impression about Jesus? And if, if the answer is yes to any of those questions, then you absolutely have the right to eat meat sacrificed to an idol. But it doesn't mean you should. Instead, your concern for others should compel you to do something different. And, and just to drive this point home, Paul gives them an example from his own life. Uh, he, he answers the question about whether or not an apostle should receive financial support for his work. Because, you know, Paul's an apostle. What about him? And, uh, and once again, he says, you know, an apostle has a right to receive financial support. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's why Paul says that he's so glad that he hasn't received financial support for his work in Corinth, because he knows that it would have had an impact. He knows that the Corinthians wouldn't have trusted him, and that they would not have heard the good news about Jesus. And so all that uh, culminates in the passage that you just heard, where Paul seeks to synthesize all of this information and, and share with the Corinthians how all of this shapes the way they live. How all of this shapes the way that they interact with others. And, and, and the way that he does that is by changing the conversation. He changes the conversation from a discussion about rights and what we deserve to a conversation about sacrifice and what we might give up for others.
And when it comes to the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the thing that is most important, Paul tells us that this is what he is willing to give up. This is what I'm willing to do. I am willing to become all things to all people so that I might save some. Now, last year uh, for Christmas, uh, Andrew and I bought our oldest son, Grant, a hot pot. Now, maybe you, uh, maybe you know what a hot pot is. Uh, a hot pot is, uh, is that device uh, that, uh, that single guys who've uh, just started living by themselves, it's the device that they use to cook ramen noodles. Uh, and you see, this is part of Andrea's mission in life, uh, to teach a man to fish. And uh, just to be clear, this is a mission that I fully support with our kids. I mean, I love the thought that someday our kids are going to cook us dinner. And so why not start when they're four and a half years old? And so uh, for Christmas, we bought Grant uh, a hot pot. And, uh, and over the past month or so, uh, Andrea's been working with him. And, you know, she is so incredibly patient, you know, chopping up the vegetables, boiling water, making sure that they, they don't cook too long. You know, it's been really neat. Uh, one night, uh, actually, Grant actually cooked us uh, part of our dinner. Obviously, what you may not know is that uh, I actually do a lot of the cooking in our house and over the past few years, I've actually really come to enjoy it. And, and, uh, and that's resulted in two very specific things happening in my life. You see, first, I've, I've learned a little bit more about cooking. And it's kind of fun to have a sense of what you're doing in the kitchen. You know, to have a sense of uh, what happens when you add this ingredient at this moment or that ingredient at that moment. But that leads to the second thing that's happened in my life as uh, I've learned a little bit more about cooking. I've found that I've become a little bit more particular. You see, that's uh, made teaching my son how to cook uh, a very humbling experience because what my son does not need is a dad with strong preferences about how you cut the carrots. Uh, what my son needs is a father who is willing to let him cut the carrots. That's not to say that I, I shouldn't teach him how to use things like a knife, or that I should pretend that you can use a spoon and that will actually get the job done, but what it is to say is that, uh, that when it comes to teaching my son how to cook, my concern cannot be my preferences. They have to be his maturation. You know, that's, a, that's been a hard thing for me, and it's, a, it's also made a preaching on this passage kind of difficult, and it's a, it is the thing that deeply humbles me about my faith. Because you see, this is what Jesus does so perfectly for us. I mean, he cares so deeply about my relationship with his Father that he sets aside all of his preferences so that I might know him. And that's why he takes on flesh. That's why he walks among us. That's why he experiences things like pain and hunger. And when it costs him everything, when it costs him his life, he 
willingly gives it. He willingly dies so that I might have a relationship with his father. You see, this is how much Jesus loves me. And this is how much Jesus loves you. And and this is how much Jesus loves the person who doesn't even know him. And that's what motivates Paul in today's reading. You see, he knows the good news. He knows that it is so very good. It's so very good that it compels him to set aside his preferences. It compels him to set aside all of the ways that he is particular. And you know, Paul, Paul is the kind of guy that you got to imagine can get pretty particular. And then it asks him, it compels him to ask, how might I invest in the maturation of someone else? You see, that's why preaching on a passage like this is kind of difficult. It's kind of difficult because it makes it impossible to not think about the question, what might I need to give up so that someone else can hear the good news about Jesus? And and I don't want you to misunderstand me. I mean, Paul isn't talking about giving up the gospel or or rewriting the scriptures or or pretending that some things that are sin really aren't sin. He's not doing that. But what Paul is asking us to do is to consider our preferences and to, to think about all of the things that make us particular. I mean, do we know them? Can we name them? He's not saying that it's bad to have them, uh, but what he is saying is that we need to be ready. Because at some point, we might just need to give these things up so that someone else might be able to hear the good news about Jesus. Now, it, uh, it wasn't the first thing that Grant cooked for us. It was probably the second or the uh, third. You see, Andrea had, uh, had taken our son about three blocks uh, to Jay's Market, and he had selected a package of mushrooms. Now, um, what, what you may have noticed is that I, uh, I don't love mushrooms. They're not my favorite thing to eat. Uh, but we have this rule in our household uh, that when there's food on the table, you always have to take at least one no-thank-you bite. And so a couple of weeks ago, I had a no-thank-you bite of mushrooms. But something surprised me. <laughs> they weren't that bad. And then I, uh, I took another bite and another bite, and I learned that there are uh, certain kinds of mushrooms that I don't think are terrible. Now, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm ready to make this a regular habit, uh, but it reminded me of the last thing that Paul says to us in today's reading. You see, he says that as he does all of this, as he, as he makes himself, as he becomes all things to all people, that he does it for the sake of the gospel, that he may share Share in its blessings. Share with the other person. It strikes me uh, that there is a blessing when you share the gospel with someone who isn't completely like you. Because uh, when you do, you might just discover that something that you didn't like 
isn't that bad. You might even discover that something you didn't like is kind of good. And there's, there's a blessing in that. Paul wants us to notice that. He wants us to see that. And so my prayer uh, for each and every one of you, and especially myself, is that we would have this experience regularly here at Messiah. As we become all things to all people, so that by all means we might save some. And that in doing that, we might share in the gospel's blessings. That's my prayer for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.